It's a little longer. <laughs> All right, get your Bibles out. We're finishing up our series that we started in October, but has uh, seeped into November because of our water main break a couple weeks ago. So we're wrapping up our series on authority this week, and we'll, we're going to start a new series on serving uh, next week. So we started this series on authority called Who's in Charge by looking at and establishing the fact that the Bible is the ultimate authority. Because God is the ultimate authority. He created everything. And so what he says goes, and that means that what he says in his word goes. And so if he wrote his word, and his word says he preserved it for us, it is perfect, and he has given it to us today, he's preserved it so that we can know what he said, then that means that the word of God is the ultimate authority, hands down, the perfect and only truth. And so if we can establish that from the beginning, then it's really easy to understand who's in charge after that, because the Bible God, through his word, delegates his authority to different people. And so we've seen that God delegates authority to parents. We saw that a couple weeks ago. We saw last week that God delegates authority to church leaders. And this week, we're going to look at human government. You guys ready to talk about government tonight? Oh, man, here we go. And so, so this is the day after voting day. I didn't plan this. Honestly, I'm so, like, anti-wanting to know about politics, like, I, I, I kid you not. So, like, back in, like, August when I was planning out, I tried to stay a couple months ahead on what series topics I want to do. I just said, oh, I'm going to do a four-week series on authority in October. I tell you in August I didn't know voting day was in November. I, I'm serious. I'm a terrible citizen. I know. But, so we started a week late in October, and then we had a water main break, and here we are one day after voting day talking about government. Didn't plan it. I think it could be a God thing, though. So we're going to talk about government tonight, and more specifically, what the Bible says about government. You're not going to get this stuff in school, because we're going to see what the Bible says. I'm not going to give you a bunch of history. I, actually, there will be one segment on history uh, towards the end, so let me, let me just not lie to you right now. There's one segment on history, but it's still going to be Bible history. But we're going to look at what Bible says. Our only textbook for tonight on government is going to be the Bible, as it should be, because, like we've set up in this series, God's Word is the ultimate authority. So we're going to see tonight what God's Word has to say about the role of government and the role of citizens. That is your points one and point two blank, if you want to fill them in. I, I didn't plan on giving that to you right now, but that's essentially our simple outline, the role of government and the role of citizens. We're going to see what the Bible has to say about that, and then at the very end, I'm going to try to answer some questions that you might be thinking as we're going through this. So, if while we're doing this simple Bible study on government, if you come up with some questions in your head, just put them in your back pocket, because I bet we'll address them at the end, or at least one of them, one or two of them, because I've got four questions that we'll hit pretty quickly, that hopefully after doing this Bible study will be pretty simple to understand, okay? Let me just preface this by saying this isn't going to be very political. I, that might sound weird, like how are you not going to get political? I'm going to try not to. We're going to try to just stick to the word and see what God's word has to say about government and not get political, okay? So it will be very biblical, and, and I hope that we can just define what the Bible establishes as the roles of government and the roles of citizens tonight. So our main verses for this series has been Romans 13, 1 and 2. Let's review those really quick. Romans 13, 1 and 2. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resisteth shall receive, receive to themselves damnation. 
We're going to continue this passage tonight, actually. We haven't went any further than verse 2 yet, because as you go past verse 2, it specifically speaks about government. We use that as a launching pad to start the series and to talk about each week that God has ordained, he has established authority and given them power. But then, in the next couple of verses, he's going to talk specifically about human government. And so we'll keep going into that tonight. But before we get there, as an introduction, I just want to talk about that phrase, the powers that be are ordained of God. What does that mean? So I've got it on your study sheet, ordained or endorsed. Does God endorse a candidate or a political party? Does God endorse, now, okay, I might be stepping on toes tonight, so you guys are just going to have to not be so sensitive. And just, whatever, you, just, just, we're just going to see what the Bible says, okay? Does God endorse, a, well, okay, ordained and endorsed are spelled differently, so no, that's the short answer. The word ordained means established. We've kind of talked about this briefly in the past weeks. It means established or set in place. And so what this means is that God has established the system the idea of government. He, de he defined it, he created it, and he has ordained it. He has established it and these powers as it should be. And if government, because God designed it, was led by perfect, non-sinful, unflawed men, or a perfect, unsinful, unflawed God, then that government would be perfect, as we'll see in a little bit. And so people often ask, Christian or not, by the way, Christian or not, people often ask, well, okay, if you're going to give me this verse, how could God ordain a man like Donald Trump to be president? Or for that matter, Barack Obama, or pick your favorite or least favorite president of all time, or leader of the free world, or ancient leader, whoever, what have you. How could God ordain? There were some pretty evil guys of antiquity. If you look back in, in your history class and see some of the rulers of the ancient world, some of the Caesars, some of the Roman leaders, we'll see one later today, how could God ordain those men? Well, un you have to understand his words. God is not endorsing a person or candidate or political party. He's simply allowed them to have power. There's a big difference. He has allowed them to have power. The free will of man plays into this. The system of government comes from God, and the authority comes from God, and the roles of government that we'll see here in a minute come from God. The free will of man comes into it as men can either vote or conquer to become rulers and what have you with the different systems of government that we've seen throughout the ages. But God doesn't necessarily pick who's in charge. He allows them to be in charge. Well, that sounds like a really weird thing. Well, he does this in order to fulfill his will. Well, that sounds even weirder. How could God let an evil man or person be in charge to fulfill his will? Let me just give you a quick biblical example. We won't even turn there. Anybody ever hear of Nebuchadnezzar? Old King Nebi? You, you guys, you've seen the VeggieTale one? Rack, Jack, and Benny? Yeah, okay. So you guys have a general sense of who Nebuchadnezzar is. He didn't have a chocolate factory, but he was a bad dude. He wasn't a giant pickle. He was a bad dude. And so Nebuchadnezzar, you know what? He's an evil pagan man who ruled Babylon, an evil pagan nation. Terrible person. Pick your least favorite president. He was worse than that. Terrible person. And God allowed him to come to power to rule the free world and allowed him to conquer Israel, his people. Why? Because Israel was in sin and God used an evil pagan man to judge them. Interesting. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. God allows things to happen 
to fulfill his will. So I just wanted to set that in place. That whole God ordains the powers that be. That does not mean that God has picked a candidate and said, I put my blessing on this candidate, this quarter, or this, I don't even know what you call voting terms, but <laughs> this term, he doesn't do that. That's not what it means. It means he allows, he delegates, he establishes power, and he has designed government. So what is the biblical role of government? Well, we're going to read our two passages here, because we actually have two tonight. We're going to have Romans 13, and we're going to have one in 1 Peter. The important question to ask is, what is the biblical role of government? Because if you were in school in your history class, and you just ask, what is the role of government? That's probably a whole semester worth of information. What's the role of government? What, what does your textbook say the role of government is? And it's probably lists of things. But if you're just going to ask what the biblical role of government, it's actually quite easy to find. It's not that complicated. And so we'll see that tonight. Let's read our first passage, Romans 13. We already ver read verse 1 and 2. Let's go to verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he, the power, is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For, for this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, Tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. You may not know what all that means. You will by the end of tonight. But let's go over to our other passage, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. These are the two key passages tonight. Verse 13, 1 Peter 2. Submit yourselves to every ordinance. That word ordinance means law. We've seen that the last couple of weeks. Of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. By the way, First Peter 2.17 is like the coolest verse ever. Doesn't that just sound like it should be like the tagline of some like awesome Skyrim video game or something? Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. I kind of want to tattoo that on my body somewhere. <laughs> I won't, maybe. Okay, so 1 Peter 2 in one hand, Romans 13 in another hand. These are our passages. Let's, what, what does all that mean? What's all it say? It's actually quite simple. First, you've got to understand. Let me give you a few things to understand. We, we already kind of mentioned this. God is perfect. He invented government and authority. So if his outline for government was followed by perfect men or a perfect God, it would be perfect. As would be the same for any other thing. God invented marriage, and if marriage was done by perfect men and perfect women, then marriage would be perfect with no flaws. It, it's the same for anything. God created the world, and if the world was perfect and had perfect beings in it, it would be perfect. But it's flawed. See how that works? It's not just that government is such a hot-button topic. Anything that God creates and designs would be perfect given that it was perfect and dwelled by perfect people. So we have flawed people. We have sinful people. We have sinful and flawed governments. Second, you need to understand that God does not outline what form of government is best. He doesn't. By the way, I might step on some toes. I'm sorry. God's government is not a democracy. 
Our government's technically not a democracy. But anyway, God's government is not a democracy. It's not a republic even. God's government is not one government of the people, by the people, and for the people. God, when Jesus Christ comes back the second time to judge the world and to set up his perfect kingdom where he will rule and reign from a throne for a thousand years on planet Earth will be a theocratic monarchy. <laughs> That's God's government. Where all government is by God and for God and of God. I, I missed the of part. Of God and by God and for God. That's God's government. So we have to step aside from our Western craziness for a second and just remember democracy and everything that we know as government isn't a bad thing, but that's not necessarily what the Bible says government is defined as. Just understand that. God is going to define the roles of government, but it doesn't mean that there's only one government that is biblical because he leaves room and men are flawed. So really, anything you try, even monarchies, are going to be flawed because men aren't perfect. So here's the two main points to God's platform, if you will. The first role of government is to prosecute evil. Really hard, really deep stuff, right? Romans 13, back to verse 3. Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then be not be afraid of the power? For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. He's the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Rulers are not in God's model, mind you. Well, I, I think that, you know, this politician is evil. Or what about that leader in Middle East? Okay, okay. Remember the, the context. In God's model, rulers are not a terror to, to do good. They're, what they're to do is to prosecute and to punish evil and evildoers. God's command, in fact, to those that do evil, those who break the law, are to be afraid. <laughs> you don't get off. Why? Because judgment by government and law enforcement for evildoers is just, and it is biblical according to God. He is literally, as the verse says in, in verse 4, a revenger that executes wrath on them that do evil. So if you're going to let something shape your worldview and your opinions on law enforcement, on incarceration, even the death penalty, something as hot button as that, let it be God's word. That's all I'm trying to say. Let it be God's word. 1 Peter 2.14 Or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. Punishment of evildoers is one role of the government. It's just a simple role of the government. And the flip side of that, you have the punishment or the, the prosecution of evil. You also have the promotion of good. Prosecute evil, promote good. Now this could be seen in different forms, in different ways, in different countries and cultures even, depending on what would be good for that people. But it's more of a general sense that I want you to get at. Because in the general sense of good, as in righteousness, like the, the opposite of evil, governments are to promote good and punish evil. Romans 13, 3. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same, of the power, of the authority. Actually, in God's model, if you do good, you, you're to be praised by the government. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> if you kept the law and did good things, you actually got praised and rewarded by the government? I know it seems like it, we only punish bad guys, but in God's model, he's punishing the bad dudes, and he's rewarding the good dudes. That's a cool thing. Back to 1 Peter 2, verse 14. Governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. 
So they are to prosecute evil and to promote good. That is the basic two roles of government the way God designed it. Of course you could get more specific and you could, we could study the kings and we could even study judges like we talked about last week before there were kings in Israel. But the idea is this in the New Testament, God says, promote good, prosecute evil. That's what the government is supposed to do. That's what we see here, okay? It's simple and it leaves room for plenty of different systems of government to work if those men could actually fit in those guidelines. And they weren't seeking their own good. And to be fair, every government that's ever existed has been flawed because flawed men lead them. Some are better than others. You, it leaves room for you to have your opinions on which are better. It, it even does. But until God sets up a kingdom where he's perfect and he's on the throne, it can never be perfect. So that's some of the biblical roles of government. Now let's look at the biblical roles of citizens. Ah, here we go. What does the Bible say that citizens are to do? The first one, we're just going to step on toes right now, submit and obey the law. Submit and obey the law. Oh, man, you mean I have to obey the law, but what about, hold on, we're going to get to whatabouts in a second. That's literally point number three. <laughs> we'll get to whatabouts. But for now, look back at Romans 13 and verse 1. We've been saying it this entire series. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Verse 3, wherefore ye must needs be subject... Subject means to be submitted to, right? So submitting or being subject to the authority of the government. That means, notice, that means you can disagree. But you're not going to be unruly and break the law because you are submissive. You can disagree, of course. But the world has got their panties in a bunch right now. And if they, I don't know if I can say that, but when they disagree with everything, they fly off the handle. You can disagree, but you know what you can't do? You can't break the law. God's word says to submit, be subject unto the higher powers. 1 Peter 2, flip, we're going to be flipping back and forth to those. So if you got them, bookmark them or just watch the screen. Verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance, law, commandment of man. For whose sake? For the Lord's sake. Oh, it's almost like if you resist the power, you're resisting God. I read that somewhere. Where was that? Verse 14, or okay, back to verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. And so these men who were submitting to their ordinance, their laws, would be the king as supreme. And in our culture, that might be the president or whoever would be the big dog, the supreme guy. And governors, those would be delegated under him. And them that are sent by him for punishment of evildoers, that would just be law enforcement officers. That's the whole spectrum of people, of government and law enforcement. We're to submit to those ordinances for the Lord's sake. Wow, the world's view of authority and government sure is different than God's. Next one, honor government leaders. Wow. 1 Peter 2, 17, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Romans 13, 7, render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And in the context, we're referring to government leaders. Well, what does this mean biblically? Well, honor is going to have a similar to uh, token as as. Fear, like Proverbs 24, 21, where it says, My son, fear thou the Lord and the king. So 
When you fear God, that means you have a healthy respect and reverence for God. Like, not you're like, oh, I'm so scared of you. I don't want to even know who you are. No, it's you understand who God is and that he's perfect and just and holy, and I need to get right with him. God isn't just some cuddly, fun-loving teddy bear that like, oh, just love each other. No, God is just. He is holy. He is light, and in him is no darkness at all. (laughs) And he has no tolerance for sin, and that's the fear of God. It's a healthy reverence and respect. And so that fear is like honor. It's a healthy respect and reverence for God. And Proverbs 24 says, fear the Lord and the king, the guy that's in charge. Well, what if I can't stand them, man? Okay, well, can I just give you some healthy, practical advice? Respect the position, even if you think you can't respect the person. Respect the position, even if you don't think you can respect the person. I bet you can probably try, but if you can't, respect the person. I don't care what political party you side with or which political party holds the position currently in the country. Respect the person, even if you don't think, or the position, even if you don't think you can respect the person. That's the way that it works with other things. It's the way it works with your boss when you have a job as an adult. You may not even like the person. Well, you have to respect their position or you're going to get fired. We talked about this with parents. Well, I don't think my parents are perfect. Well, that's great, but God gave them authority. You respect their position as your parents. You respect the position of church leaders and pastors even if you don't agree. See, it worked. authority works the same regardless of the context because God set it up that way. We honor, respect fear, reverence. It doesn't mean you dis- that you never disagree. You can disagree with people. Of course you will. But you respect the position they have. Why? Because it has been ordained or established and delegated by God. That's why. That's the biblical thing to do. Next, pray for government leaders. Ooh, did you see that one coming? <laughs> pray for government leaders. 1 Timothy 2.1. Paul says to Timothy, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Verse 2, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So I have a proposition for you, and maybe some of you are just young enough to where you haven't gotten to this point and really don't care yet. Well, that's awesome. That's fine. But maybe for anyone who might be listening to this, or adults, or parents, or anyone who might be listening later, How about instead of spreading venom and hate, we simply do what God's word tells us to do and pray for those that are in authority, regardless of affiliation. Well, pray for what? What do you want me to pray for? Did they get saved? Well, that's a good start. Of of course, pray for that. But, But the results of the prayer should be what the verse says, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, Christian. Well, that seems to remove any reason to me for Christians to violently protest, I'm not saying you can't protest. It's, I get it. That's a right. We'll get to that in a little bit. But it seems to remove any reason for Christians to violently protest or aggressively yell or slander or lie or accuse because we're praying for leaders so that we can lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and honesty. That's the fruits of praying for government leaders, and it's why we should pray for them. So we should pray that whoever is in charge, because it changes from year to year, of course, that they would make decisions that are pleasing to God and his word so that God's will can be done. God can work through either party. He can. I, that sounds crazy. I know He can. 
You, but we'll get to voting in a second, so calm down. We'll get there. We'll get there. We're just doing the Bible study. And we Christians can live in peace and unity, even with a government that isn't Christian, if we will pray that God would allow that to be. So we should pray. That's what we should do. So students, do you pray for your government leaders? The Bible tells you to. If you didn't know it did, you should start. You should start. Adults, parents who are listening, do you pray for government leaders? Or do your kids' parents, or parent, do your kids parrot every vile word that you've spewed about the politician that you despise? Kids are listening. Kids are watching. And I've heard a lot of kids over the six years I've been in youth ministry who have no idea anything about politics and they just parrot what they hear their parents say. Something to think about. Okay, that's the short Bible study. Those are the roles of government and the roles of citizens. I told you, it wasn't that hard. It might be kind of hard to submit to. Okay, let's get to the but what. Verse number three. But what about, okay, and these are, these are not gonna be long, trust me. We don't have another half hour Bible study. But I do wanna give you some of these. But what about paying taxes? I know that most of you aren't old enough to pay taxes. Is anyone in here who's under 18 and a high schooler working a job and they pay taxes? Okay, did any of you, when you got your first pay check, look at the pay stub and be like, whoa, look, oh. And you're like, that's how much money I made, and then, but this is how much money I get? Yeah, I know, that's welcome to the real world. (laughs) Welcome to the adult world. It only gets worse as you make more. (laughs) What about paying taxes? Well, does the Bible really talk about paying taxes? It does. It does. The Bible word for taxes would be tribute. The word tribute, defined, is a sum of money that is paid to acknowledge submission. That's an interesting definition. Or it's a sum of money that is a price for peace or protection. And so whenever a a nation would conquer and rule another nation, they might not kill them all. They might make them be tribute or pay tribute as money that would be a sum or a fee for protection or uh, protection or, or peace. Romans thirteen six had the word tribute in it. For this cause pay ye tribute also. There you go. Verse seven, render therefore to all their dues tribute to whom tribute is due. Pay your taxes. By the way, you can disagree with the principle of taxes. I didn't say that. You can disagree with the amount of taxes. You can vote differently when you're old enough to vote. You can disagree with how it's collected or the organization that collects it. Sure, go for it. But obey the law. Submit to the law. Pay your taxes. God's word says so. That's, that's the simple answer. God's word says so. And you know what? Jesus said so too. Oh, come on. He did. Look at Matthew 17. Matthew 17, 24. When they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money, there it is, came to Peter. Tax collectors came to Peter. And saith, and said, doth not your master pay tribute? Does Jesus pay taxes? And he said, uh, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> he said, yes. And the reason I say I don't know is because he says, and when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, what thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take customer tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, then are the children free? Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast an hook. Take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. That's kind of cool. If you could pay your taxes by going fishing like Jesus, that would be pretty sweet. But Jesus references the tribute money. And then he does again in Matthew twenty two seventeen. Check this out. They're, the Pharisees and the, the leaders are questioning him, trying to trip him up. They don't like him. It says, tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? 
They, they just straight up asked Jesus, should we, should we pay our taxes to Caesar or not? He's the one who led Rome. Jesus perceived their wickedness. He knew that it was a trick question and said, why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? And Jesus, he got a little testy sometimes. Show me the tribute money, and they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, who is this image and superscription? They said unto him, Caesar's. They said, whose picture is on that money? Well, that's Caesar. Then saith he unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. That's a pretty deep answer in, in very few words from Jesus. Just give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Bottom line, obey the law. Pay your taxes. Don't commit tax fraud. It's against the law. It's against God. Disagree with it. That's fine. Vote against whatever you want. That's fine. Obey the law. God's in charge, and that's what he says to do. Bottom line is, are you trusting in God or in riches? That's what it comes down to. Let's keep going. These ones will be quicker. What about bad or corrupt governments? What about bad or corrupt governments? That's what you're thinking this whole time. Okay, Kale, I get it. This is if governments were perfect. Our government's not perfect. And I tell you what, that country over there that is spelled funny, that government certainly isn't perfect. What about those? Or what about places that have evil governments, let alone perfect? What about the Middle East? What about history? What about the Nazis, man? What do you do with those? They were evil. What do you do with communism and Karl Marx? What do you do with those guys? Well, we already partially covered this because we said God's system is perfect. And if it was executed without flawed sinful men who seek to promote themselves and get rich and powerful, it would be perfect. But let's entertain that question for a second. We've already read 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. Look at the next two verses. Look at what Peter says in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. That's the opposite of good and gentle, if you're wondering what that means. <laughs> for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endured grief, suffering wrongfully. And he says, don't just submit to good leaders, you're going to su submit to bad ones too. Peter says it's actually thankworthy if you endure grief or suffering for God if it was unjust. Bad governments unjustly persecute people. Peter says it's thankworthy. Now here's your little mini history lesson. If you didn't know this, do you know who was king when Peter was alive and he, when he was writing this? Do you know who was king? It was a guy who would be the Caesar in Rome whose name was Nero. Nero was the Caesar in Rome from 54 to 68 AD and he was one of the most wicked kings or Caesars of Rome. I'm going to give you a quote. It should be on the screen from Fox's Book of Martyrs. Check this out. The first persecution of the church took place in the year 67 under Nero, the sixth emperor of Rome. Nero even refined upon cruelty and contrived all manner of punishment for the Christians that the most infernal imagination could design. In particular, he had some sewed up in skins of wild beasts and then worried by dogs until they expired. Others dressed in shirts made stiff with wax, fixed to axle trees, and set on fire in his gardens to illuminate them. This persecution was general throughout the whole Roman Empire, but it rather increased than diminished the spirit of Christianity. In the course of it, St. Paul and St. Peter were martyred. Peter and Paul were martyred under the rule of Nero, who was ruling when Peter wrote the words, submit to every ordinance of man, to the king as supreme. As Nero was taking Christians, dipping them in wax, nailing them to trees, and lighting his garden with human candles. Did you know that Nero set Rome on fire for funsies to watch it burn and then blame the Christians just so he could kill more of them? 
you know that? Nero was a pretty bad president, I think. And you know what Peter said? Submit to every ordinance of man. Mm. Now, ask me again what a Christian should do in the presence of a bad or corrupt government. I think we should just obey the Bible, guys. I think we should just obey the Bible. What about laws against God's word? What, what if a government passed laws that are against God's word or that are, are outright sin? What about that? Well, if the law was to sin against God's word, then you have permission to not partake. Very simple, without doing a long Bible study. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles are told by city officials and leaders to not preach the gospel. They disobey that law because they're going to preach the gospel. And they said we, we ought to obey God rather than man here in this point because what you're saying goes against God and what God has told us to do. God told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel and you're telling us not to. We're going to have to obey God here. Even though Peter later wrote, submit, you see, see where that trumps? But you know what? You better be prepared to suffer because in Acts chapter 5 they got beaten for it and they rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer for his name. So yeah, if the law was literally against God's word, you have, that's the only time that you're allowed to break that law. But let me just say, although our current government may have laws that you and I disagree with, which it does, it does not currently force you that I know of to partake in those things. Just be aware of that. Just be aware of that. There are laws that I disagree with and that I think the Bible disagrees with. But at this point, I don't know of our country forcing you to partake in those. There are governments in the world today that outlaw the Bible and Christianity. So we should be thankful for what we have. What about voting? When I'm 18, how should I vote? Well, I'm only going to spend a second on this because you're not 18, and I hope that after this message and this whole series, you have a way better idea because the idea is this. The simple answer is to vote according to God's word. Your government, which I'm really, I'm not praising, but we are lucky to live in this country. We seriously are. Your government grants you the freedom to elect public officials who make and enforce laws. So use that freedom to vote for what you think God stands for. God's word is ultimate authority. So read God's word, study God's word, and what God's word stands for, vote for people who stand for those things. It's very simple. It even leaves you room to have opinions. I'm not even getting up here and telling you what to vote for and what to vote against. See? But don't get worked into a shoot over petty opinions to where you ruin your testimony as a Christian. You are a Christian first and an American second. If I could leave you with anything before you graduate, just seeing the way the world is today, you are a Christian first and an American second. Remember that, Christian. Remember that with your testimony. You're allowed to have an opinion on things like taxes and foreign policy, etc. Absolutely, but let the Bible shape those views. Let the Bible shape those views. Let the Bible shape those views. And where the Bible speaks specifically about things, such as the sanctity of human life and marriage, vote for people who say, and again say, you can't know for sure, I get it, people lie. So you go with what they say. And if they say they, they're for those things or against the things that God's against, well then vote for those people. No man or woman is perfect and no man or woman is going to line up with everything in the word of God. So you do your best. You vote for what God's word says you should vote for. And then you just have a clear conscience. That's what it is, man. Just don't let your opinions and don't let Twitter and don't let media and don't let television dictate how you think. I'm actually thinking about doing a series in a couple months called Brainwash because I'm telling you the media in general, not just social media, but that's a big part of it, is just brainwashing everybody, man. 
let God clean your brain instead of letting the media dictate what you think. And just see what the Bible has to say. And then just take that, what God has to say about authority, what God has to say about issues, and then just vote in a way that you think God would be pleased with. You have the freedom to do so. You have that freedom. So I hope that helps. I, I hope it helps on government, because that's a hot-button topic nowadays. I hope it wasn't too political for you, but I hope it got you thinking. And I hope you're thinking about what God's Word says. But more importantly, I hope that you'll take to heart what the Bible has to say about authority in general. Because ultimately, who's in charge? God's in charge. Every week we've seen that. God's in charge. His Word's in charge. And whether it be parents, whether it be church leaders, whether it be government, we didn't even really get to jobs and employers and bosses, but whoever it is, they're in charge because God's in charge. And ultimately, we are to submit to our authority as we submit to God. That's what he calls us to do, Christians. God's ultimately in charge, so the question is, will you submit to him? If you'll submit to him, you won't have as much of a problem submitting to authority, okay? Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I, I know that uh, this message might not be the easiest pill to swallow just because of the timing of the year. I didn't plan it, I promise. I'm too dumb to be able to plan it that good. But Lord, I just pray that, uh, that it spoke to somebody. I pray that everybody would just hear your words and take it to heart because the world that we live in is getting more and more aggressive and there's more and more animosity between opposing views. You can have different opinions without the animosity and vitriol that exists today. And Father, I just pray that these kids wouldn't grow up to be adults that are just spewing venom for anybody who disagrees with them. I pray that they would stand on your word, stand for truth, I pray that they would use their freedoms that this country allows us to have to vote for people who would line up with things that your word agrees with and disagrees with. I pray they would do that. But I pray, Lord, that more importantly, that they would just understand what authority is. And all authority comes from you, and all authority comes from your word, and whatever your word says goes. And if we'll just line ourselves up with that and live by that, we'll do just fine. And regardless of what's happening in the world, and regardless of what's happening in government, regardless of what's happening down the street from us, if we're lined up with your word, we've got you on our side. And that is the best thing. Peter says it's better for a man to, be, uh, to, to suffer unjustly, to, to suffer grief unjustly for living as a Christian than, than it would be to suffer grief because he did something wrong, because he was living evilly. So Lord, if we're gonna suffer at all, I pray that we would suffer simply because we love you, we love your word, and we're gonna live right, and we're gonna live righteously, not because we spread animosity or because we uh, create uh, unnecessary uh, craziness and hysteria and arguments and such like that, Lord. We love you. I pray that you'd make us more like you, and in this last song, I pray that you'd be praised. It's in your name that I pray, amen.